0: You're listening to Wisdom of the Ages, the show that taps into the many expressions of universal, ancestral, and personal wisdom to ignite evolutionary consciousness.
1: Welcome and blessings. This is Anne-Kate Sullivan, host of Wisdom of the Ages. And I am also the host of a new podcast with co-host Mirabai Devi here on the Superpower Up Network called Messages of Infinite Light. Please go check it out. We're doing all sorts of solutions for an evolving humanity. Very upbeat. So let me tell you about the show today. Most of us exist in some kind of state of anxiety, fear, anger, depression, divisiveness, loneliness, some sort of suffering, and the pandemic really hasn't helped. And our normal distractions aren't there either. But there is another way, and it doesn't necessarily involve drugs or alcohol or any other way we have of checking out. Today, we're we're going to talk about what it is to check in, what happens when we become awareness. So today, we're going to be diving into the secrets taught in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, that is Dzogchen. So my guest today, or actually I have two guests, which is going to be really fun, are Chris von Hassett and his beautiful friend Rachel Reed Wilkie. Now, we're talking about his book, this new book, Entering the Mind. Now Rachel Reed Wilkie edited and narrated the book, and it's going to be out on Audible soon. It's a great way. I love audible books, actually. It's a great way to to really dive into the teachings. You can press pause, do some of the practices, meditations. But let me tell you about Chris. Um Chris von Hassett is a writer editor and publisher of Riot Material Magazine. he is also a decades-long practitioner of Zogchen, considered by some to be the highest wisdom practice known to man. So it's definitely worth checking out. In his new book, Entering the Mind, Sivan Hassett takes us luminously, I love that word, <laughs> into the Life-affirming, heart-awakening, consciousness-altering terrains of mind in its natural state, where he shows us how to recognize it within ourselves, then realize it through holistic, wholly committed practice. And he really does do that in the book. So entering the mind has been described as the definitive meditation guide for our times. I loved it. And in fact, I want to read you a little passage from the book it's on it's uh, on page 17 from a chapter called toward the sun. And it goes like this. You have your awareness, which is stable and unchanging. It cannot be harmed in any way, but more importantly, it can never be destroyed. If a meteorite were to streak down from the sky and strike you where you stand, this would be beyond bad fortune. But your awareness, however, however short after, oh, sorry, your awareness, however, after a short, restful slumber would continue on in a very natural way without the slightest diminishment and its ability to perceive it would remain stable cognizant and ever ongoing it is this ground level awareness that we call the natural mind and it is this mind we aim to recognize in our meditation so i just thought that was beautiful especially this this idea of the meteorite strikes us we're gone what's left Awareness, So just beautiful. Mm. Anyway, you can find out more about my guest on riotmaterial.com slash entering the mind. And when we come back from this short break, we're going to talk more about entering the mind, the power of meditation and the wisdom of Zogchen. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace? connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens, then join
0: us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today.
1: Welcome back to Wisdom of the Ages. This is host Anne Kate Sullivan, and I in- invite you to delve into the mysteries of the spiritual worlds on my many podcast episodes. You can find them on SuperpowerExperts.com/slash Wisdom of the Ages. And today we're speaking with brilliant guests uh, Chris von Hassett and Rachel Reed Wilkie. Welcome. Thank Hello. you for having us. A pleasure to be here. Yes. <laughs> I really love that passage. Sorry, I messed up that one line, but I just, there was something about that, um, you know, just shifting into awareness. It just, it caught me. I don't mm. know. <laughs> what was it like to hear that? Did anything arise?
2: Well, it's lovely to hear it. And, and, and it kind of highlights my affinity with the natural world, even the natural world as it's at its most destructive, i.e. the meteorite coming down and striking someone dead. But what happens after that is the naturally occurring mind continues on. And the whole book is just loaded with these natural world metaphors, which, uh, in and of themselves point us inward toward ourselves, our highest selves. So, you know, we could take cues at all times from the natural world to who we really are. And so I really wanted that to be a, an important part of the book, even in all of its myriad ways we encounter it.
1: Yeah, it's so true. So let's let's back up and, and help everybody step into Dzogchen because it's a deep subject. Yes. And um, so what? Got, why are you interested? Like what pulled you into this teaching? Did you meet uh, someone or what happened?
2: Well, no, it was just purely uh, something within me pu- pulling me along the way. I mean, I, w- I was hardly even seeking. I was being pulled at a very early age to understand who and what I was and what I was doing here on Earth. Um, and I wasn't getting any good answers no matter where I looked, um, although the Native Americans were, were really kind of fleshing it out fairly well for me. But still, it, it didn't feel it was my tradition. I didn't feel I was even able to enter that tradition um, in any in any way that would answer the questions I was um, really seeking. And then I kind of stumbled into Buddhism, which had some uh, great teachings, but I kept hearing through almost as asides. Um, when I was reading some of the great masters, uh, this thing about Zhou Chen, you know, like, or the great perfection, or they would call it Atiyoga, Yoga, or they would call it Mahamudra. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, what is this? And, you know, like, uh, I can't find any books on it. I can't find any of this. So I would go to the table of contents or I would go to the index and I would just be searching for anything I could find. And little by little, I was getting, here's a book here and there's a book there. And, and, um, I saw some teachers that, I, I'm going to go visit this teacher. And then ultimately, I just recognize in going deeper into Dzogchen that it truly is the answer to any of the questions that any of us have as spiritual seekers on this planet. Now, many of us get we we, we go for what we feel we gravitate towards. Um, but ultimately, if you're a spiritual seeker, you're going to get all of your answers in the Dzogchen Mahamudra traditions, all of them. And that's what I loved about it. It's like there was no red flags. There was no empty spaces where I thought, mm, something, something is missing there. It fulfills every single intellectual query you have, and then the spiritual queries as well. So, and then as you go deeper and you start meditating, you start practicing, you start sitting with some of these great teachers who are still alive today, still teaching. You really do find a profound transformational change that takes place within your own psyche and in relationship to who you are in this body so, to the point where. Life on this planet becomes a true joy. Um, So, zokchen is really special.
1: Yeah, it's it is, and I have had the pleasure of sitting with Tenzin. We mentioned before the show Tenzin Rinpoche, um, and and feeling there's something I think when you sit with a teacher who's who's in this um, state of awareness, uh, this transmission comes through, and it's just easier to. To leave the what, the delusions behind and and enter this non-dual uh, way of perceiving, and um, I know my my experience a few times sitting with him is that there, there was this shift where it be instead of my monkey mind, you know, thinking about all the things that I need to do, there would be and sometimes it was after a long period of meditation when maybe yeah. had been meditating six hours or a few days or something. There'll be this this shift where. I mean, you talk about the wind in your book, which I really like. I'd like to get back to that, but there's a shift where all of a sudden I would have an experience of being at one with all that is. Yes, and I would like to say that's permanent state. It's not. It's it's fleeting still, yes. uh, but it's amazing when it when it happens. And and I also uh, consider that to be true nature. And that, oh, right now I'm residing in true nature. Of course, there's still for me that the sense of I and this witness, um, who am I, of course, is always the big question, right? But um, have you had some, like, what happened to you? If you had these experiences, or maybe you reside permanently in the non-dual, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, Um,
2: well, (laughs) it took so many years to actually um, truly, really recognize what they were speaking to. They call it the natural state of mind. And this natural state of mind is our natural state. So the enlightened masters, the Buddha, the Dalai Lama, all these great masters, um, when they speak to this natural state, this is the, the state that's within us all. It's like it's one with space, and yet it's infused with our own awareness, our own perspective on all things. And each one of us has our own perspective within this endless eternal space. Um, So, you know, the thing is our our intellectual mind is trying to figure the space out. It's trying to understand it. And this often will get in the way of when you're meditating, you're trying to analyze and the, and, and, and Dzogchen analysis is revered. It's, it's, they speak to it. You really need your own analysis to understand where you're going. At some point though, you have to learn how to let that analysis drop. And only then will you actually drop into this natural state. So when you sit six hours in meditation, you're kind of working it. And you're listening and you're thinking and you're and you're trying to understand at some point you get tired and you just and that all just kind of like settles. And when it does, the awareness being your own awareness being rises and it is perfect. It's perfectly still. It's perfectly stable, but it's also totally aware and totally at one with all things so that you recognize that you are not different than anything else that you are one, that in fact, everything is within your own awareness. And this is where the teachings are trying to shift you, not from you seeing things out there, but for you recognizing that things are arising in your awareness. And you're trying to re- re-establish a new relationship with your own perspective and the world around you, including your own thoughts. Where are those thoughts coming from? Who is the witness of it? Where is this I? So, it takes a long time. And I, I still am, I can only still only stabilize for very short periods of time, you know, like an hour here or 45 minutes there, sometimes 30 seconds here. Um, But, you know, um, the, you know, some of the teachings and different traditions speak about dipping a cloth in ink or in, in a dye. And the more you dip it in, the more it takes to the dye and the more it permanently takes to the dye. And, and it's similar to that. The more you dip in, to this natural state, the more you take to it and you know where you're going. And so at some point, you may not always be stable, but you're you you you're so aware of where you need to be that there's a nice balance between you in this conceptual world and the world that you ultimately want to inhabit. That's
1: be- beautifully put, beautifully put. You know, I'm, I have an inquiry practice with my husband, who, who who's more, he's Videta Vedanta Vedanta is, is his his thing, um, and we both are practitioners of the Diamond approach. I don't know if you know it, but
0: yes. I've heard of yeah. it. Yeah,
1: I don't know much about it mm. then. Yes, uh, it's a really it's a really interesting approach. And so for the past, gosh, I think eighteen years now, we've done an inquiry practice. And of course, the famous question is, "Who am I?" Who am yeah. I? I? Might start there and every day it's a little different. Um what used to drive me crazy in the Videda Vedanta is like, oh, it's all illusion, dreams don't matter. And when I ran across um uh, I, I think his book is called Conscious Dreaming. Is that, am I correct on that? I
2: think it's is it called Dream Yoga in the Way of Light or something like that? Or- something
1: like that. It's on conscious dreaming, but it, um anyway, I I like this um it seems kind so a seems kind in a way you know you're not in the hindu tradition you just you're cut somehow it feels like a cut from the ego and here with a it seemed like more of a um a, an acceptance okay we can get deluded by the mind yes but there's there's a curiosity about the witness. There's a curiosity about the body, about life. You, you have a meditation in your book where you go through all the different chakras and all the different parts of the body, all the organs. Um, and so there's a settling. It feels like a settling so that awareness, awareness in the whole body can then perceive
0: reality. And it mm. would you like to address that?
2: Mm. yeah do, you, do you yes.
0: good, yeah. um yeah i might jump in here because um i'm much newer to the practice than chris is um but i felt um i'm i'm very body orientated you know i i i have my morning routine which includes meditation but i love my yoga workouts and and it's because i i think i i revere the human form that we've been given and gifted with for this experience of life and and I think many of us do. I'm sure many of your audience does as well. And, um, you know, to take care of the body and to nurture the body, to nourish it, I think is is part of who we are as human beings. And myself, too, when I um, began practicing Chen and really studying it, studying the great texts. And Kenzin you Rinpoche is one of those great masters that I've thoroughly enjoyed reading because it. He, he clearly explains this beautiful unity between what they refer to as relative truth, which is this truth that we exist in as human beings in this material state, this conceptual state, but also the ultimate truth, which is the truth where we're aiming for this truth beyond that, this truth um, beyond, above and beyond, as it were, um, our conceptual state. And, and what I also found so beautiful about Zhou Chen is that they often throughout the whole philosophy speak about unity. It's the unity of respecting ultimate, respecting the relative truth, which is our material existence honoring that and using that to serve us to reach the ultimate truth, just as you were saying. And it's this unity and this respect for both sides of the coin, as it were, that actually brings in the true understanding of the ultimate truth altogether. The ultimate truth wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the relative truth. And we come in, we're born into this world with a perspective on the relative truth. And through that relative truth, we use all of these examples of our life, our body, our mind, our thoughts, our relationships, our occupations, our activities, and all of these seemingly materialistic activities and thoughts. Actually, serve the practice of reaching the ultimate truth. So it's, as you said, it's it's kind. It's 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 imbued with kindness because there is no exclusion whatsoever. Mm. It includes and it embraces every single experience of being a human, and we use each of these experiences as means to practice, as means to um, aid our practice in in the search for the ultimate truth. Really well put. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. I really, really like that.
1: Maybe it would be it would be fun for the audience to to just define the difference between do our normal, ordinary dual existence. Um, our you know that's the way you were you were actually sort of addressing that. But what's the difference between our sort of normal dualistic way of perceiving the world and the non-dual? You know, this sort well, of unified. It, um, I think. I
2: think the um, the the crux there is the I. is it, it is I am, or that's mine, or this is me. If we're perceiving from there, then we're in the conceptual framework. If we recognize that the I doesn't exist and that um, the body is not the center ground of our our percep the way we perceive the world. Then we're going to be. Then we're going to be moving into the non-conceptual perspective, because when you have an eye in place, then you have subject-object. And when you have a thought that's driving the perception, then you have subject-object. When you're look, if you look at the space around you, you see that the space allows for everything. It allows for your house to exist. It allows for you to sit within that space. You are within that space. But in and so, our awareness being that is. Beyond the body is exactly like the space that is around us. And that goes on through the infinite. The difference between our the space and our awareness is that our awareness is filled with, we we could see, we're cognizant of it. We're we have the awareness that we are of that emptiness. So um, that that awareness, seeing the emptiness is also seeing the emptiness of no I. Uh, there is no I there. Um, and you actually see this and you actually begin to perceive from that perspective. And that's when you're perceiving from the non-conceptual place. And that perception allows for everything, good and bad, all different individuals. It allows for every single thing in the universe to exist without judgment, um, because it's just simply the play of our awareness. It just like like lights moving around. It, it That's all it is. And so you begin to perceive like that. Um, this is the aim because the habitual mind is powerful. We, I say we begin to perceive like that, but in truth, we actively have to learn how to perceive like that. That's a, that's a training. And then the more you train, the more you will ultimately land into that natural way of perceiving. But if you're not training, you'll never get there. And training is the meditation
1: absolutely we have got to practice these things right so the deep the deep inquiry of who am i i i'm remembering an experience um <laughs> the first one of the first times i really was ab- I, what, what would i call it abiding in the emptiness i guess yeah. where i where i had this sense of disappearing and This particular time I went, I've I've had sort of light luminous experiences, but this particular time it was black. It was, I really went into this black space and I, there was also an enormous fear of death that was, that came along with it because I was like, oh no, if I really go into this, I'm just going to be a corpse. I'm I'm not matter anymore. So there there was this, um, uh, it was a sort of ego death, I suppose, or a, a, a hint of it and um but i stayed with it i stayed in the blackness and at some point it really became much more of the then it was more like a nighttime sky it became luminous warm, luminous darkness call it. Well. yes you call it
2: because it's called really uh, luminous darkness you know we, we 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 speak to it as being a blackness but mm-hmm. there's still a knowing there and this knowing is the mm-hmm. luminous clarity and like you did perfectly. You, you remain there. You don't, you don't flee. You know, that's our natural instinct is to get out and you do. So we pull out, but if you remain there, you, you begin to recognize that it begins to light itself. And that light is your own awareness taking over and, and recognizing itself. And so that's a beautiful thing that you did.
1: It was really powerful. It was. It was. uh, But the the knowing the knowing that emerged in that empty mind when the the empty mind was um, it was so vast. It was just so incredibly vast. And and it seems uh, that uh, moving when I go into a deep meditation now, you know, over periods of time, it's become more accessible. Mm -hmm. So um, I like the meditation uh, you did too. Where you just focus on a pebble. I believe it was just focusing on a pebble.
2: Yes, Mm. shamatha practice.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Um, That's
2: the foundational practice. uh, That that that, shamatha is foundational for all of Buddhism, really,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: and it's basically quieting, as you call, I think earlier, the monkey mind, Mm -hmm. uh, where. You know, our mind is just wild, and so how do we how do we stabilize it? You find a support, and the support, what could be a pebble, and I don't know what you've used before, breath or
0: um you can use breath breath. um i often just find uh, a small object in the room so um i don't have a specific totem that i focus on yeah um you just
2: rest the mind but
0: you rest the mind there and it's a beautiful practice especially when you're um beginning to learn how to meditate you know it's 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 the idea is that you you have a million things going on in your awareness, in your mind, you know, and of course, this conceptual mind is throwing thoughts at you, throwing emotions at you, perhaps throwing physical sensations at you. And the idea of focusing on a pebble or any object, the idea of it being a pebble is that it's a piece of nature, you know, it's something natural. And you put that in front of you just a few feet ahead. The idea is that you, you now focus on one thing. So it's to sort of stop yourself from jumping around through millions of different um, ideas and thoughts that run through your mind. So if you're focusing on one object, it just gives your mind the opportunity to calm and focus on the one object. And, and that's that's a practice that um, I continue to return to. You know, More often now I'm able to sit and I sort of relax quite quickly into the natural state. But of course, there are some days when you're particularly anxious or particularly worried or concerned about something, or you've just got a lot on your plate. And so returning to shamatha practice is is just a really cool, stable, reliable way to just calm down the conceptual mind so that you can then slowly, slowly rest in that. And then you're able to sort of enter into the natural state. Mm. So it's it's a practice I think that once you learn that you can use that for the rest of your life Definitely. and it's it's something to rely on it's it's there for you whenever you need it.
1: I guess it's a really wonderful practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: for a long time, I I have focused on I call it the cth center or the inner star. I just focus on that, mm-hmm. and if I if I just. Um, like maybe draw a line around the outside of my body, so my mind's busy doing something, yes. and then, and then they, I'm able to to move into stabilized awareness. That was your term, I think, that you use. I really liked it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. in awareness. Yeah, that's true. And some practices, of course, use mantras. You know, yeah. that's the purpose mm-hmm. of mantra: just keep mm-hmm. the mantra, return mm-hmm. to the mantra. And mm-hmm. these are all just really helpful techniques that have been proven over centuries over millennia um that able us to train our conceptual mind to just calm and chill and then we're able to enter through the membrane as it were into the non-conceptual state mm. Yeah,
1: that's really true i mean I, re- I remember you know the years of tm practice where we're just chanting yes. <laughs> right and wow. it does it does do something also and the breath work the yogic breath work yes all of it. Yes. I have a fellow that's on the show a lot called Mark Whitwell, and he always says, we are the power of the universe operating. We are the in-breath and out-breath of life. I've always really, really liked that. It
0: is so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's
1: good. And sound. There's something um, really special about sound also. Oh, yeah. talk about this. I loved this part in your book about the sound of wind. Yeah. You to Talk about that.
2: Well, you know, there's um, at some point you're you you are analyzing a lot. So in Zogchen, you know, they want you to understand where you're heading, and to understand that you you need to think about it. You need to conceptualize. Um, so part of it is you know where is this I in me, and you're 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 analyzing your body and all of its parts, and where where is that I? And then you're listening to things as well. You know, if the cricket is out there. How are you hearing that cricket? Is you know, a lot of us think our ear is hearing it. And it is true, you know, in the body, our ear is hearing it, but really, how are we perceiving it? Um, so you're trying to figure out where this point of perception takes place. And so with the sound of wind, I was sitting in uh up in the northern Mojave Desert, where we have a lot of winds um, you know, at nighttime. And, you know, you're getting the crickets and you're getting the wind, and you're and that's it. You know, so you're sitting in meditation and you're like, how am I hearing the wind? You know, like, is it my ear? At what point is my ear reaching out and grabbing that sound? Or is it sound coming into my ear? Or is the wind moving through my awareness and you're analyzing this? Um, And so this is it's, it's a really lovely practice. I mean, you really your heart actually gets into it as well. You know, your heart is because you're trying to when you begin recognizing that it's not so much your ear, that it is this wind is moving through your awareness. At what point you know, can you pull the wind out of the awareness? At what point can you pull the cricket out of awareness? You can't. And you, so and so now you're beginning to shift from the, the focal points of the body, the eye, the ear, this touch. And you're beginning to now recognize that it's all happening with awareness. You know, you could, as you're listening to the wind, you could touch your foot. And you're, it's all again, another part of the perception and how is how are we perceiving it? And in, in the end, it's always taking place within awareness. And ultimately, this practice is training us to now focus less on these uh, what do they call it? The, um, the five sense, senses. The sense consciousness, um, including the mental sense consciousness. But um, now it's we're all looking at the the one thing of awareness, which is they they use the metaphor of a mirror. Which allows for all images to arise within the mirror, but really it's the mirror itself that's reflecting all these things. And the mirror is not affected in any way. And our awareness is much like this. It allows for things to arise in the awareness, wind, crickets, the sound of a car, um, the visuals, all of it's taking place within awareness. And now so we're training to look at our own awareness that sees this.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's actually a lovely part in that chapter that struck me reading it, is um where um you speak to the sound of the wind so of course it's your it's your sound sense that is is receiving the sound mm. but it's your mental consciousness that's constructing the imagery around the sound mm. and at the same time you've got this The idea, you bring in this idea of a raven on a branch that's getting blown around by the wind. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. what you Mm -hmm. explain so beautifully in this sort of double twisted metaphor is here is a sound which in as the storytelling go is is a real sound happening in your environment and your mental consciousness is um perceiving this sound. And then here is an image of a raven on a branch getting blown by this imaginary wind mm-hmm. that is also a mental image in yeah. your mental awareness. In the same awareness. And so this is where you see how these different senses, both physical senses mm-hmm. and mental appearances, actually are experienced as one in the same awareness. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so clever the way that you brought mm-hmm. those two experiences together. Oh, thanks yeah. I really liked it too. I I circled
1: it here. It's the chapter before, but you say in innate mind, a thought moves through awareness much as a bird wings through an open sky. The sky does not shake from the bird's movement through it. It does not follow the bird, which would imbalance both the bird and the sky itself. The sky rather allows for the bird to move through it, for that is its nature. Its nature allows. I just mm-hmm. thought that was lovely, really, mm-hmm. really lovely. And then you describe this um, this fourth time, which I thought was really interesting, too. So we have past, present, future. But what is this fourth time?
2: Well, that the fourth time is what opens up when you do move into the natural state, that which we're practicing and training to get to and understand and finally arrive at and abide there. This is where the fourth time exists, because this is the time of no time. You have the past, present, and future, and in, and in your meditation practice, you're looking for the mind that has no beginning, no, no abiding, and no disappearance. Of course, the so as you're looking, you're looking, you're scanning your own awareness. Like where does it where does it arise? This awareness it it doesn't. So there's no past, and where does it, where is it going? It's not going anywhere. There's no future. Where is it abiding? You're recognizing that it's not abiding anywhere either. It simply is existing. It's self-existent, self-knowing. And in this, there's no present, there's no past, and there's no future. And this is a conceptual idea for a while until at some point you do slip over into actually residing in this natural state. And it's a total recognition that there is no time at all, along with the fact there is no I, there's no me, there's no, there's, there's really nothing except for these perceiving, except for perceiving. Like you couldn't look at space right now and say that space exists in the past. Well, no, it exists in the future. No, it exists in the presence. You know it doesn't have a time to it. We know
1: this, Mm.
2: but we don't question it because it doesn't make sense to question something like that. And this is exactly true for our awareness.
1: Mm. Yeah, actually I think it's a pretty good inquiry. It it is. Nice. it's 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 a it's a, really,
2: it's a mind-boggling in- inquiry and when you arrive at a, uh, the understanding of it it is it truly is mind-boggling it's truly really like yes. wow it shakes you for a minute
0: yes And I think also because a lot of um, modern cultures who speak to wellness, meditation and peacefulness and finding that abiding calm, many practitioners and teachers alike speak to this idea of remain in the present moment, you know, be in the present moment and be here now. Well, that's beautiful because that's step one, you know, like let's let's remove ourselves from the past. Let's remove ourselves from the future and let's be let's experience this now. But now and nowness and present moment, they then also become a concept because what you you can never actually experience this now in the now. The moment you experience the now, of course, it's a past now, you know, and uh, the moment you anticipate the coming now, it's a future now. And and this is something that the Dzogchen teachings speak to a lot, and it's so beautiful because We can conceptually get our heads around that and we say, okay, we get it. So the present actually doesn't really exist either. So what's beyond the present moment? It's this idea of the fourth time and we can get our heads around that. Conceptually, we can accept that, you know, especially now because we're sort of more educated in science and quantum physics and, you know, we can sort of, um, sort of wrap our heads around this idea of space time, you know, and, um, But actually, it's through the practice of the meditation. And like yourself, you've experienced this. And and when you're in that state of meditation, and literally, you then let go of the present moment, and you let go of anything and everything that has any connection to any sense of time or existence at all. And when you just fall into that space, as it were, then you experience it. Mm -hmm. And that is experiential knowing. And that's the knowing that we're referring to mm-hmm. you yourself and other practitioners who experience this.
1: Yeah. I think it's something that's really important to delve into right now. I, I haven't spoken about it yet, but I had an accident in the spring and I had to have a surgery. And the I had an allergic reaction to the anesthesia and every medication they gave me. So I was really in. It was a bizarre space. I wasn't sure I was going to make it. There was a part that was like, there was a part that, that was curious about what was going to be continue on. Yeah, I was in the black, and what 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 I was also aware of, I could, I could hear people praying for me. I mean, I could feel Mm -hmm. it. It was like being, I felt like I was inside a mandorla. a, uh, you know, like the, the, the shape between the, 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 in the vesco Pisces in the middle, I felt like I was in the middle of this, I was being held and there were these snakes that were, that were kind of turning around me. And I could, I could in that moment go into terror that, that could have been where I could have gone. And there was a choice. It was like, no, no, I I'm feeling, it feels like a golden wisdom as, as just how I described it. And and I was like, it's better. I think I need to to reside in this this golden wisdom because whether I'm going to die or whether I'm going to live, it doesn't matter in a way. I just need to follow this thread. And um and then w- and then woke up out of it. But in the thread, the thing that was the other thing that was interesting about the thread is I saw all sorts of people that I know that are that are on the other side now. They're they they crossed over. Mm. And but they were there too. And so the veil was very, very thin. Mm. Um, so it was actually interesting. This is like one of the first books that I read coming out of this experience. and and I realized how important it is to train train ourselves up because we never know yeah. what the date is that it, that's going to be our the date that we cross. I'm very uh, clear that we don't die. That we like leave the body behind, but there is an awareness that carries on. Right, and um, I don't know if you would you like to address that.
2: Well, I would, um, and you know, much one of the great points of this book is to speak to why we meditate, and we are meditating for the very reason that we are going to die. There's no question about this. What the training is going to give you in this life is stabilization at that moment when you do die. Also, exactly what you just pointed to in the sense that you you could have been terrorized in that moment. And this is the normal mode of, uh, this is the normal response And for most people when they die. There's a lot that happens. Our awareness becomes so crystalline and we're so imbued with awareness that it becomes terrifying. So even lights, our own lights, inner lights begin to shine and they be, they're so bright that people flee they go unconscious or you know they see they see beings that are scary and they go unconscious well these are just all um our own awareness that's that's revealing itself in the clearest of terms and fleeing and becoming scared going unconscious means that you're now likely going to go and continue on into another body but stabilizing as you did and saying, you know what? No, I need to look at this. And you spoke of this twice or, uh, another time when uh, when you hit that darkness and you said, no, I'm going to stay here. Mm-hmm. This is what our training is is um, allowing us to do. It's allowing us to make a decision. When we drop the body, the body just dis- dies. And we're now a, a, a presence and awareness. And we can stabilize there. We can say, no, I'm going to stay and look at this. And in looking at this, this is what the Buddhists, all the great teachers say is our greatest opportunity to enlighten because we can, if we're stable in the moment of death and that time around death before we begin to move into a dream body, that kind of dream esque body, um, we can wake up permanently. And so this is, this should bring you great confidence to know that you have developed a skill with all of your years of t- training that you can now face death and not be afraid and say, you know, and make a choice, a thoughtful choice in that moment saying, no, I'm going to stay and look at this and observe this. And I'm going to listen to these people. And I'm going I'm to see the people coming because now you're, you're, that's a skill and that's a skill like everything else that we do, like a skill of becoming a great chef in this life, uh, you know, like becoming a, an amazing teacher. These are skills that we develop and saying with, this practice, which I love about this practice. is it's not out of our reach. We can develop this amazing skill. So when we die, we're prepared.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it it is true. there is the Tibetan book of the dead, right? Where, where they're um, where they describe in detail what we go through and and what, and the skills and the capacities we need when we cross into now. Okay. So, so it does seem like we can just go into maybe the Bardo's and recycle, come back as another being, you know, what, tell me more about the, um, the enlightenment perspective, the dream body.
2: Well, I mean, I wish I could tell you more because I'm not there, but I I have, I have a good intellectual understanding of it. And it's actually, I don't have a very clear understanding of it, you know, like, it would be silly of me to say it's going to be like this. I actually really don't know, but I have a good sense of knowing. Like I like I practice every day for I want to I I want to teach when I die. I want to practice all my life because when I I want to get I want to enlighten because I do want to help other sentient beings awaken as well. So I want to my goal and my purpose in this life is to prepare myself for dying so I can then wake up in. Hopefully, wake up in this life. But if I I want to be certain that I can wake up at that moment of death that I just spoke to, so I can then move on into that higher realm of teaching to be, you know, like some of the great masters who have taught me um, to choose to come back as a teacher. For now, though, I'm just a practitioner. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I do believe that as an awareness being, we have the ability to take on that enlightened role and choose to come back to help all sentient beings throughout the universe. And that ultimately is my goal.
1: That's really interesting. I, I had a um, wonderful spiritual teacher by the name of Joyce Leike, who was a shaman at Eslan for, for years and years and years, and also a diamond approach teacher. And I guess about two years ago, I was like, you're, you're actually completely awake, aren't you? You're, you're an enlightened spiritual teacher, which was great. Cause I, I mean, they're, they're few anyway, but finding a woman is, was really rare. Yeah. And um, so I was talking to her about it and she was just, she was just kind of clear about who she, who she was. Mm-hmm. And um, at which point, at which point she, she started dying and um, what, she didn't seem worried about it at first. She didn't really like the idea, but this is what was happening. And, and she started, She started saying, well, you know, I've had students who have crossed on, who have come to me for some kind of teaching, a brilliancy teaching or something. And so I know it can happen that way. So let's see what happens when I, when I go, maybe, maybe the connection will still be there. And she died, she died not long after that. And I had a very strong dream uh, about her that, that I think was actually more of a vision that she was in the other world and she was um, actually teaching, but it was, it was, it seemed very physical. Like she had a center and she was there and her students that she had worked with were with her. And, and I said, well, well, that's pretty neat. You know, she's prepared the, the, the mystery school on the other side.
0: Um, That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah right?
1: i thought i thought that was that was interesting but i also had a great deal of respect for the way that she embraced what was happening that she yeah.
0: didn't
1: yeah that she, no, she it, it is
2: beautiful
1: it? yeah mm-hmm. and we, we you know it's it is a mystery we won't know until we're in the middle of it but i think this um this you're absolutely right that if we Every day, spend our twenty minutes, maybe twice a day, in meditation. We're preparing ourselves for something that we're all going to face eventually. Yeah. And if we real, when we realize that we're eternal beings, that this is a story that will go on forever, we, you know, without this body, but the the awareness, the consciousness will go on forever. Mm. We can become really curious about that, and I think
0: at that point, um, the the fear, the fear does more or less go away. Yeah. and I think with that as well um, yes in one way we're preparing for our ultimate dying of the body but what we're doing is we're also removing that fear and when that fear mm-hmm. does dissolve we actually begin to enjoy this life even more mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think that's just the beautiful side effect if you want to call it but it's it's ultimately the greatest reward, you know, when you can live your life fearlessly um, without anxiety and without the fear of dying, you just live your life to the maximum. And and so there's just this beautiful like handshake that happens at that moment. I really
1: am happy that you brought that part in because, you know, I feel that in in a lot of patriarchal religions, the feminine got cut out. And what happens when you remove the feminine is you remove life. (laughs) (laughs) And we're meant to be in this dance, this, you know, the dance of the masculine feminine within ourselves and with, with others. And so um, this, you know, bringing this in, like, yeah, if we, if we give up the fear of death, we can fully live here. And I think, you know, just focusing on that pebble, I I think that is, is so powerful. Can we actually do a walking meditation in nature and look at the leaves and look at the sky and look at the birds held by the, the wind. And can we be fully present here in this moment? Yeah. It's a powerful shift. And I, I believe if more of us stood in that level of awareness, we treat the planet really differently. we would uh, treat each other
0: differently. We would love uh, each other fully. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you you're embracing life itself. You know, we we wouldn't even be asking ourselves these questions, who am I, if we weren't gifted with the life in the first place. And mm. so, you know, and and the idea of dying, you know, we return to the earth and it's cyclical and and we we give back and it's the ultimate gift. At the end of our life is to give our bodies back to the earth. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I think when we start to understand the, the, the beautiful cycles of nature and how the sun rises every morning and the moon cycles every month. And, you know, when we really do connect with that, um, we can understand the deeper meaning of our existence overall. And, and, you know, in many, many, sometimes buddhism gets a little bit of a of a of a hard hand because it does speak to this idea of emptiness and you know emptiness to say that all phenomena at its nature at its core is empty it's not to be perceived in that sort of little mundane way of saying what you mean. So it doesn't exist. So I don't have to care for it. So it's sort of this, you know, nihilistic approach. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. not the point, you know, the point is this beautiful, the emptiness really leads us to understanding the, the impermanence and the codependency of everything that we are living with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's not, It is emptiness, but it's not emptiness for us just to say, well, then it doesn't matter. Actually, it's the opposite. It's this beautiful unity of contradictions that brings us to understand that, well, everything relies on something else. We rely on each other. The earth relies on the pull of the moon, the sun, you know, the earth relies on the sun rising every morning and and our very existence relies on on the beauty that this earth provides us. And so, that's really the true meaning of us living in this life is that we are all one and connected in that way and we do have this deeper understanding of what coexistence really means and that's that looking from that perspective you can then remove the i and the selfishness that we bring into the story that's beautifully
1: said very well done yeah i like i like that it's it's so true and there's a there is a difference between deficient emptiness, you know, we're, I mean, we've all experienced deficient emptiness where we're just sad and, you know, and, and then the e- emptiness that's actually space. That's actually, I think the, the Kabbalists, I think speak about it. Well, it's so in Bina, you know, where you're in the black mother, you know, right. which is a, it's a whole different e- experience of presence and the, the potency of presence. So the, so emptiness can be really potent. Would Would you like to, Chris, would you like to speak on emptiness?
2: Well, you know, they say emptiness and the emphasis on the ness part of it, because what is the, the ness, emptiness indicates the fullness of emptiness. And what is it full of? It's full of our awareness. It's full of it's full of the whole myriad magical play of our perceptions. Um, and these perceptions are all taking place within how we're perceiving things. So they're ours. They're they're ours to nurture. They're ours to befriend they're ours to get to know uh, on, on how they really are, not how we perceive them to be as that other thing that needs to be either affirmed or negated or somehow just, like, ignored. You know, this is all all of this, all the happenings in the world are happening within ourselves, within our own perceiving mind. And we need to nurture that and come to know it as we would know want to know everything and anything that enters our, our life, you know. so. Um, emptiness is, 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 is a problematic term in that if you're not thinking about it too deeply, you're going to just blow it off as kind of a nonsensical term. You know, of course it's not emptiness. Look at your body. It's, it's, it's a physical thing. It's right here. What do you mean? It's empty. You know, it's when you really come to understand the term, and then especially when you actually get to experience it in, in your meditation practice, you've trained yourself to enter into that amazing state of, Perceiving without connecting um intellectually to it or conceptually to it, you do absolutely recognize the true nature of all things, which is emptiness, but it's filled with your awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But you That's can't right.
2: really say much more about it because what, what can you say? You know, it's <laughs> like it, you only have your best bet is just learn how to experience it.
1: Well, there's one one thing um that I have I have noticed. I, I heard A. H. Almas, who who's the head of the Diamond Approach school talk about it one time. And I write, I write a lot of, I've written 15 books. I write a lot of books, but one thing that I, I noticed is that when I'm writing, there's a shift. This is a sort of more of a practical thing, but it's because my husband says, who's writing, you know, he always says like, (laughs) who who is it that's writing this book? And I can feel It's like the the Greeks were called the muse, but there'll be this moment where true nature is writing the book. Yes. It's not me. It's something else. It's the cosmic force. It's it's the intelligence of life itself, right? In the book.
0: Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's you know, and and so uh, I know uh, Hamid the Ah Almas will say I I operate like this all the time. Like my school operates this way. Like so he's so so you think you're giving everything up but now he's got this this huge mystery school where where everything's actually functioning because he's out of the way he's not yes. interfering with the intelligence operating
2: yeah yes. he's yeah he's like the smartest <laughs> man around right now then like <laughs> to pull, to pull yourself out then you're doing the best thing you possibly can do but be be a presence in all of that but take yourself out of it really yes and things God. will be allowed to function properly
1: yeah. <laughs> right that's, that that's really the practice, right? the practice. Yeah. in this moment I, you know, yeah. am I complaining am I caught up in this world or in my or am my uh, you know, maybe I need to get back to focus on the pebble see if I can move back into presence again
2: right. yeah. <laughs> Well just... a, a, an interesting question <laughs> when, you, when you did come across your near-death experience, and in relation to emptiness, maybe you have a better language for this emptiness. Uh, you you were sensing a shift in between one world into another world. You didn't quite make that shift. But where did you find language to put to that moment of of perceiving in that realm at all?
1: That's a good It's a really good question. I, I think I'm still into integrating it. The big word that came to me was synthesis it felt like a synth so the so the whole world seemed very holographic yeah so I was speaking to people who who are clearly on the on the other side um and speaking to people who were here so there didn't seem to be a a veil in between the two that was one thing that and so when I when I started to come out of it I was like gosh you know there is no There is maybe it's like this fourth time, you know, there is no um, everything's existing simultaneously and there is no time. That's what I I felt, even though in a way there is. I knew these people that showed up in a particular point in time. And I was aware of it was funny. um, The couple of the people that came to me were people who had died so tragically. And they were standing there talking to me and I and I was so glad to see they were okay. I remember that part. And there was another fellow that I had known who had died of a brain tumor. And he always had a slightly crooked eye. And when he when he was looking at me, his eye was fine. I was like, Oh, look at your eye. Your eye is fine. Mm. And he said, um, and the they seemed to be saying to me, "You're not done. You're not done yet. You let me." So they were supporting me, almost sort of birthing me back into this world. And uh, Ricky, one of them, said, "Oh, let me give you coins." It's funny. He was he was very Jewish, and he loved to collect coins. <laughs> anyway, he was saying, "You need you need coins. You need gold in the four chambers of your heart, so you can come back." And he was placing these gold coins in my heart. Wow. And that actually helped me stay with the golden thread. Yes. And yeah. and, and come back. So I think he, he did a healing from for me from the other world. But that's what I I believe I've come back with is that is true that we don't die. We carry we carry on. And those people that we love, I think we're all connected through love that we well, love find.
2: Love is a natural yes. expression when Rachel spoke speaking about fear leaving you and uh, anger and all depression, all these things leaving you because you're you're beginning to recognize kind of your're one with it all. The natural equation that fills that is love. Love can f- flows in because now you're now you're uh, working from this area rather than this area. Mm-hmm. and this area is just uh, it's born of love. It's love and joy, mm-hmm. and all these things just occur. And for me, I, I for my entire life, I, I had such a problem um, connecting with that. I was very intellectual and studious, but mm-hmm. what was, it was dry. It was lacking all the love and all the nectars of love. Um, and but it was filled with fear too—a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, uh, occasional moments of depression. All of these things were present in my uh, my existence, but love was not something that I could claim until I began to, all the fear began to leave and all the anxiety began to leave on its own. I didn't even try. And what began to bubble up was just incredible love. And I was just blown away. I was like shy, like, is this me? You know, is this coming out of my heart? So it's such a beautiful practice that it gives you that. It gives you that. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's so true. You know, if we can just, when we, when we focus, I don't know. Why that is but when we focus in it does seem that what seems to come through that 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 point of existence is it is just love it's just um it it's, and love is hard to define i mean there's so many different qualities and, and textures yeah. and capacities but i was aware of um a, a feeling uh, held by love so it se- seemed both internal and external and also that it had the smell of roses Right, mm-hmm. had a, actually had a, <laughs> and it had sound too. It yeah. had a sound which was more like um, uh it was sort of a bell, but a bell that kept ringing.
0: Mm.
1: Yes, yes, and it,
0: <laughs> vibration. It was literally yeah. a vibrational mm. sound. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so, well, we have these. Uh, we were all going to have these experiences. It's it, you know this is a, something that's universal. So. Yeah. So, let's see. We have to wrap up. I'm really enjoying the conversation, but. Uh, I know. <laughs> I <was back> in- <laughs> um, yes.
0: Is there something you want to leave us with here?
2: Anything you love?
0: Um, mm-hmm. Not really. I mean, only that um, I just like to say that um there's many many different types of meditation and there's many many different types of spiritual paths that we can choose to um, walk along and encounter and and there isn't one good one and one bad one you know I think each each one of us will get pulled to a certain practice or a certain group of people perhaps who are practicing something and and I think if we can just all enter that path, without judgment and open up our hearts and our minds and and entertain these ideas and 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 try it and practice and see if it's not for you that's okay there's others around the corner and you can try others but when you do find something that resonates with you trust that feeling and trust that this one's speaking to you, and if that's the case, then then go deep, because it's going deep down a practice that you will actually experience all of the beautiful rewards of that particular practice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, by all means, experiment and explore, you know. But if one's pulling you, um, then trust that pull and and just and go for it.
1: <laughs> that's beautiful. There are really truly rivers of wisdom, and that you yeah. can tap into them. Yeah, yeah. They can carry you for sure. And in many different traditions too, that's all we have wisdom of the ages because we tap into them oh, around the world. So that's really good. Yeah. Anything else you want to say, Chris?
2: Well, for me, these conversations are ongoing. So like you can <laughs> pick up anytime, anywhere, like to wrap up with some, you know, words of wisdom is just silliness. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk more at some point and, uh, and keep it going, you know, keep, people engaged you know these are the conversations i i just want to have all the rest of my life really and you know i don't want to be talking about politics i don't really want to be talking about the problems in the world i just want to be talking about how how are we each doing in our own elevation practice mm-hmm. and and where are we finding these these nuggets of wisdom and that to me is the conversation mm-hmm. at all times
1: Absolutely. I love it too. Right on the same page with you there. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. So let people know how they can
0: find and train the mind and, and do some of these practices. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, yeah, you can find the book at enteringthemind.com. And actually that link will take you to a landing page where you can find out about the book. You can read a couple of chapter excerpts from the book. Chris and I actually put together a three-part podcast. So you can actually hear us talking about the book. If you'd like to hear more in depth of of how we interpret the metaphors and how we speak to the concepts in the book. Um,
2: We're doing doing a talk mm -hmm. at Joshua Tree Retreat. Center. If anybody's in Joshua Tree in the next month, mm-hmm. join us there. That's on the entry in the mind page, the events page. So, yes, little things happening at the, and then also the, yep, the magazine, which is an art magazine, riot material is there as well. So, you can check out some good art.
1: Yeah, it looks like a really interesting magazine. I, I was delving into it a little bit. I love the art too.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a
1: way, that's another way to express true nature. Sometimes yes. you know, they don't really have vocabulary, uh but my mom you can see my mom's paintings behind me and it, it, my <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: my
0: yeah that's, that's a conversation in itself how <laughs> art and meditation how they're both at the frontier of discovery yeah yes
1: no it's it, it is really true
0: okay well hopefully to be continued i, re, I really enjoyed yes, enjoy yes.
1: It. thank you so thank much thank you so much a for a having us Yes. Thank you. And many blessings to all the listeners too. So may wisdom reveal its secrets to you one message at a time. All right. Many blessings.
0: Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.